you would take your New Testaments and open them to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is where we'll begin. We'll use that as kind of our outline this morning. Matt just finished up 2 Timothy in our uh, 9 o'clock class on Sunday morning and there's a few verses out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 that I would like for us to uh, think about uh, together this morning. If you would, look at verses uh, 3 of chapter 2. We'll begin there. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. And when Matt was teaching through chapter 2, I told him that, you know, that's a, uh, there's a lot said in the rest of us, at least some said in the rest of the scriptures about all three concepts that Paul lays out here. First, this idea of being a soldier. Uh, you know, he will look at uh, other passages that talks about us and what we learn uh, from this aspect of being a soldier. And then the second being competing in athletics uh, or running a race is talked about. We talked some more about that this morning in our class. And then thirdly, uh, this idea of being a farmer or agriculture uh, is brought up several times, certainly, certainly by Jesus and, and of Paul as well. So you see here in verse 3, you, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's first letting Timothy know that there is going to be hardship. There's going to be endurance required. There's going to, it's going to be difficult times. Uh, and he's telling him this uh, that, so he would know and so that he would know that these things are coming. And he says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Of course, there's a lot that comes to, comes to mind in that. You know, at, least, at least it does for me. I think of the orderness of the military. We've got some military... Uh, at least one in here with us this morning. Uh, two, Mr. Gary, I th- you served as well. I forgot about that. So, uh, you know, we've got serv- three. My bad, Robert. Uh, I was thinking of Kyle first, and then we go down the list. We got several guys in here, but you know, so we're all familiar with this. Uh, and Robert's pointing to Mr. Jerry now, so I should have done my homework. Uh, anyway, we all see those images. We've seen we've seen movies. We, of course, know people that've been in the military. Uh, we think, at least I think of the order of it, uh, this idea of following commands, um, and then the hardship that comes along with him. Uh, and so I did a little research just looking back at, you know, what would life be like uh, in these times that, that Paul would have been writing this to Timothy? What would they have known about the, the Roman uh, army? First of all, it was a 20-year commitment. Uh, second of all, it was not uncommon for them to march 20 to 30 miles a day uh, in all of their gear, uh, which would have been uh, heavy, uh, march all day, and then set up camp, do the things required uh, for the nighttime routine. And so you can just imagine how grueling uh, that would be. Um, And, you know, you think about, at least I think about uh, their gear, you read some about the Civil War, even in this country, uh, a lot of that was fought without shoes. And then you think all the way back 
uh, to these times, you know, the gear they would have had, they're not going to have had comfortable Vibram soles and, uh, you know, polyester clothes and all the, you know, comforts uh, that we would, at least our soldiers would enjoy today. Uh, you, know, you just kind of get an idea of what that might look like, uh, just the day-to-day -day activities, eating, uh, and all those things that are entailed there, and what kind of hardships that may have looked like. Uh, uncomfortableness that that would be, uh, you know, the cold, the hot, the wet, uh, all of those things engaged there. And until the second century in the Roman army, you couldn't marry. And so that, that makes me think there, verse 4, no one entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that, may he, that, may, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so... Uh, the Romans at least uh, recognized, at least for some period of time, that, or at least they thought, you know, you cannot serve the Roman Empire and have another life. If you're going to serve the Roman Empire, you will not have a family uh, of your own. Obviously, you came from a family. That still exists, but you're not going to be married. Uh, you're going to be fully devoted uh, to us. You're going to be fully devoted to our mission. Uh, we don't want you being tied in uh, with a spouse here. We want you fully engaged in what we got going on as the Roman Empire. So go to 1 Timothy, and we're just going to look at some other passages and draw uh, on all three of these points, this idea of being a soldier, this idea of competing in athletics or running a race, and then this idea of agriculture or farming uh, or being a farmer, and just pull from other passages uh, what other passages in our New Testament say about these three concepts and think about these things together this morning. Go back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And then go on to chapter 6. Chapter 6, beginning of verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so, you know, at least in regards to Timothy, uh, I think we see that Paul uh, drew on this idea of being a soldier, this idea of fighting uh, to explain to Timothy what his job was as an evangelist. Uh, where he was, and so, uh, you know, I think that's uh, worth our attention to think through uh, what all is Paul meaning by that, what all, or is he trying to get Timothy to understand about being a Christian that is so closely related to being a soldier or, or fighting uh, in a war. Ephesians chapter 6 maybe helps us understand this a little bit better. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, 
with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in this spirit, in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So you see that Paul is telling uh, the Ephesians here to put on the whole armor of God in verse 11. Uh, I guess first he's telling them uh, to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So uh, be strong in the Lord. Uh, Know that the power rests with Him. But then put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and he's telling them in verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not a physical fight. This is not a physical war. This is a spiritual war that you're going to be engaged in. He says there in verse 12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I don't know what kind of imagery that brings to your mind, but it certainly brings uh, you know, the devil and his angels. That's what comes to my mind. Uh, the wickedness that's around us that we can't see uh, you know brings brings my mind this conversation between Job or between uh, the devil and, and God over Job and knowing that he has so much power uh, in this realm in this world in which we live and he's always seeking uh, to devour each of us and he says he's uh, walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour uh, and, and Paul is saying look you need to take on armor for this fight and he's telling us what this armor looks like. You need a sword. You need a breastplate. Um, shod your feet. You need a sh- the shield of faith so that you can, um, a shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so we all need to understand how critical this is, how critical it is to uh, understand the war that we are engaged in for our souls every day. Uh, that's something... Uh, that we need to be mindful of and to think about. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's start in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence, who in presence am lowly among you, but being but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So Paul says there to the Corinthians in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, so though we are in this world, we do not war according to the flesh. Here again, uh, we get this imagery of our, our fight and our uh, war, us being a soldier here, uh, is not of fleshly, but it is of the Spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. So here again, this imagery of the spiritual war 
that we are engaged in uh, every day, this battle uh, that we have. Go back to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 2 and in verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. <clears throat> Kenzie and I, we were in the hospital a couple of weeks ago. She turned on the TV uh, and uh, they were doing the little thing where they twirl with the ball. I forget what you call that. Uh, you twirl around and you release it. I forget what they call it. And they got this circle and, you know, you can't go outside the circle. You have to stay inside that circle. If you go outside that circle, what happens? It doesn't matter how far you throw it. You can throw it to the moon. It doesn't matter. Disqualify. It doesn't count. And it seems like we all understand this when it comes to athletics. That's what Paul's saying. You know, even if, you, if you're going to compete, if you're going to be an athlete, uh, you can't be crowned. You cannot win unless you compete according to the rules. Unless you're Emperor Nero. All right? Uh, I was reading a lot through the Roman times, uh, and evidently Nero had his own rules. So if you were the emperor, you could have your own rules. But everybody else understands that you've got to stay inside that circle. You can't, you can't go outside that circle. Uh, and so you think about how that relates to us as Christians. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to some of that probably when, uh, well, we will get to some of that when we talk about uh, agriculture, some of the things that... Um, uh, Jesus talks about as far as agriculture and farming, uh, you know, abiding in the vine. You know, you have to, you have to compete according to the rules. And here as Christians, we have to abide by the rules. We have to do uh, what the Lord has given us to do. We can't go outside that. Uh, we can't do anything. Uh, we got to rightly divide. He tells him there uh, in verse 15 of chapter two: Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of the truth. So that's what a Christian does. We rightly divide the word of truth and we stay inside the rules. Just some things about uh, historical context. It just it helps me, and sometimes in thinking through what would what would Timothy have related here? You know, when Paul was saying this to him. So just a few things. Um, first of all, athlete uh, is defined or, or comes is two words. I can't remember the two, but. It's one who competes for a prize. That's what an athlete is. Uh, and so keep that in mind. In A.D. 41, there were 159 holidays on the Roman calendar. Ninety-three of those 159 days were days dedicated to games, so to athletic events, boxing, running. Um, they did, had all kind of different games that they had, but... Um, it was evidently a big deal. I didn't realize it was that big. Of course, you know they had the Colosseum with the gladiators and all those things. But I didn't realize that all these other things that they had uh, were so uh, entrenched in Roman uh, society, at least by, by this point. And those, out of those 93 days, those games were sponsored by the government, which I find interesting. Uh, the Colosseum, for one, could hold 50,000 people. It's just, I mean, that's huge. Uh, at least it is in, in my mind. And if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, there was at least four other big Colosseum-type uh, facilities in Rome. 
and I, I didn't gather exactly how many people they would hold, but if I'm, if I'm counting or remembering right, there was four other of these uh, types of um, Coliseum-type facilities. Um, one athlete that was famous in Rome was a guy named Gaius, and in his time, he won the equivalent to $15 billion in today's money. So they were paid athletes. So these were professional. This is what these people did. They traveled around, uh, and, you know, it's kind of like uh, what you do today. You win here, you get to go there. You win over here, it's this amount of money. You win. And so the bigger the towns, the bigger the cities, uh, the bigger uh, sums of money you could win. And so, uh, I don't know, I find that fascinating. So he was one of the richest man in, uh, men in Rome at the time as a professional athlete. I think he was a, he was a runner or a boxer. I can't I can't remember which, but this guy by the name of Gaius. Um, and then some that competed uh, when they won, they were granted large sums of money, like Gaius, and they were even granted the right to eat in City Hall for the rest of their lives. So if you won certain events, you could come to uh, City Hall and get you a free meal every day. Uh, which you know you can imagine what they were eating in City Hall versus what you were eating in, in a regular Roman household. I would imagine that was a lot different. Anyway, just some interesting uh, things to think about. So um, you think about how big uh, the athletics would have been in Rome and, you know, how much maybe that was talked about. You have 93 days of the year that, you know, pretty much anybody, probably not anybody, but most people could go and watch these games trans, uh, uh, take place. And uh, you just kind of think about being in Rome at that time. And uh, then you come back to this verse. How bad would you have been talked about if you weren't competing by the rules? If you were cheating, you know, uh, well, you know, you're a false winner. You know, you're not, you're not doing what you should do. First Corinthians, chapter nine. First Corinthians, chapter nine. Paul says here in verse twenty-four, First Corinthians nine, and in verse twenty-four, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, as one, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, bringing it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I find it interesting, this word temperate, um, there in verse 25 is only used one other time uh, and it's in 1 Corinthians 7 and in verse 9. Let's begin in verse 8. 1 Corinthians 7 and in verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control that's our word temperate in chapter 10. Let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul's talking about here um, having uh, yourself in control, self-control, being in control of your uh, your body's desires. So we all know that if I'm preparing for a marathon, I can't be eating anything I want to do. I can't just do whatever I want to do that day. I can't be lazy. I can't be sitting around. I got to be moving. I got to be training. I'm probably going to be getting up early. Uh, I'm going to endure a lot of things. I'm going to run. Out, I'm going to run and train for this marathon. If it's cold, if it's wet, if it's hot, if it's dry, if I'm tired, 
I'm just going to keep going because uh, I'm in control of all of those uh, things, these desires or these impulses that are, that are in me. I, I, I can override those with my mind, and I know I'm, I'm headed for that marathon. I'm competing to win this race. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. That's what Paul's saying uh, a Christian does. He's comparing it to this race. And a Christian runs uh, this race in such a way that they will attain that prize. They will achieve heaven. They're going to do it. They're going to sacrifice, make those sacrifices that need to be made uh, in this life, looking towards the prize over there. And so he's saying you've got to be temperate. You have to be in control. You have to have self-control if you're going to gain this imperishable crown in verse 25. And so um, we certainly need to keep that in mind. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Last week I thought I was following Evan up, and when he gave me uh, his topic, he said, we're going to talk about endurance. And uh, this was the first week I was home with all of the youngins that we've recently achieved at our house, I guess if that's the right word. Uh, we have, maybe it's a better word. And I was thinking, ooh, me. Uh, yeah, evidently Evan thinks I need to be thinking about this because uh, endurance is required. I can assure you of that. Ask Robert. He kept him for 24 hours and he was struggling. <laughs> Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this was the verse I thought of when Evan told me that we were supposed to be talking about endurance. Um, he says, you know, he, he's looking back. Of course, the chapter breaks uh, were not there when this was written. Therefore, he, we're looking back to those faithful. Those faithful in chapter 11, he's just given us uh, a lot of people for us to, to look back to uh, and be mindful of uh, their faith. And he's saying we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by all these that have gone on before us, by all these that have endured so much, by all these that have remained faithful. We're surrounded by those. There are a cloud of witnesses around us saying lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. So here again, we're going back to this idea of a race. We're running. Um, and he's telling us to lay aside the things of this life that are going to weight us down. Uh, let us lay aside every weight. All right. So anything that's going to drag me down in this race, I need to be willing to set aside. I need to be willing to throw that off. I need to be willing to get rid of that because uh, it's going to weigh me down. Because I've got a long way to go and endurance is going to be required. It's going to be required for me to, to gain that imperishable crown. Uh, and the sin, which so easily ensnares us. And so we've got to get rid of all of those things in our life. Uh, and again, run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what? Not only just, just be running uh, for anything, but have our sight set on looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of, of our faith. And so... Uh, looking to Him, again, having this idea of the prize in mind. We've got a goal, and we're headed there. Go back to Second Timothy. 
2 Timothy chapter 4 this time. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Of course, we were here this morning in our 9 o'clock class. In verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. And Matt asked the question in his class, how, how does Paul have such confidence? Uh, how does he, you know, he's saying, I've done it, and I know where I'm going. Uh, I think it's somewhat related back to Hebrews 12. You know, he, I think Paul laid aside every weight. Uh, he was all in. He was all in on this race. He was, he was temperate in all things. Uh, and he laid aside all the world around him, and he was all in. Uh, and he knew that he had done that. That's what I think uh, more than anything is he was confident that he had done his part and that the Lord had done his part, which was said in our class. You know, uh, He had made this set of choices uh, that allowed him to be confident uh, that he was uh, going to achieve that crown uh, one day. And go back to chapter 2. Um, this idea of the farmer. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Um, if you go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine, for the scripture says you should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, for the and the and the labor is worthy of his wages. You know, so there's a concept we understand uh, very clearly uh, in scriptures is this idea of uh, you know you don't muzzle ox while it treads out the grain. You reward the person who's working. You reward the animal who's working. Uh, if you got an animal working for you, don't starve him to death. Give him something to eat. Um, and so. Same thing with people. You know, you are to be rewarded uh, for your work. Let's go to James. Let's go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for, for it until it receives the earth early and latter rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This idea of being a dry land farmer, I tell you what, uh, man, you're around some of these guys, and you're like, how in the world have you endured the stress for 30 or 40 years? I, man, I'm telling you, it would eat me alive. Uh, but this is a concept that is talked about in the Scriptures. Be patient like that dry land farmer, that he's just trusting the Lord's going to send the rain. Uh, Oh man, you, you know, I just think for a minute about all the work that goes into putting in a crop, all the money that you have sitting out in this field, that you've uh, put all this time and sweat and energy into this field, and you've got it all looking nice, and you just you kind of get done with planting, and you just gotta wait. It's just wait, wait for the Lord to do His part. You did yours, and you wait on the Lord to do His. Uh, and again, uh, I think. Waiting sometimes, at least to me, can be stressful. I mean, look again, I'm thinking about waiting on that rain to get that crop out of the ground. And man, okay, we got it out of the ground. Are we going to receive the latter rains that he talks about here to fill the crop out so we actually have something at the end? It's not just getting it up, it's getting it all the way to harvest. Um, but he's telling 
James is saying here, be patient like that farmer has to be patient. Understand, uh, brethren, the coming of the Lord and be patient in that, uh, be waiting on that, and learn that from the farmer. Uh, and so, again, a concept that we learn in scriptures uh, that scripture pulls from agriculture. Let's go to John 15. I told you all we would get to this idea of abiding in the vine, which uh, somewhat related back to you know, the athlete having to compete according to the rules. John 15, beginning in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and, and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." And I think y'all know in here that this is, I, I, I like this verse because I like this idea of pruning a vine and, uh, you know, uh, I've talked about this in here before about having muscadine vines and, you know, watching this kind of concept uh, play out in, in real life. And, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of magical in a way, you know. Uh, and he talks about pruning, pruning those branches and they, you know, they make more fruit when they're pruned and, having to abide in the vine. The branches having to abide in the vine. Uh, in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. All right. So we understand that as Christians we have to abide in him. We have to do um, what he says in order to be fruitful uh, in his kingdom. Let's go to Galatians 6. Galatians 6 and in verse 6. Let him, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who reaps to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And so here you have this idea of sowing and reaping. Uh, and I know that we've talked about this in here before, but uh, it, it's, it's worth uh, repeating. Uh, this is a, you know, God set the world in order in the sowing and reaping uh, idea. Uh, we see it most clearly, obviously, in farming. You put a seed in the ground. Uh, you put a corn seed in the ground, for instance. You put a corn seed in the ground, we wait, we're patient like the farmer is for these rains, we get the early rains, we get it out of the ground, we get the later rains, we make a crop, now we have a ear of corn. All right, we take that for grain that we're going to feed the pigs or cows or whatever we're going to feed. And you'll notice everybody's seen a uh, cob of corn. Um, it's got a bunch more than one, uh, depending on how much rain we got. Depends on how much uh, corn, new corn kernels we have. And so... Uh, you put one seed in the ground, we sow it, and then we reap a great harvest. 
That's how life is. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, he will also reap. If we uh, sow to the flesh, we'll of the flesh reap corruption. All right? Sow to the Spirit, we will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so uh, we most clearly understand that, at least in my mind, from this sowing to the Spirit. We don't deserve the everlasting life. If you think you do, we need to talk afterwards. All right? We can do nothing to earn that. Uh, we, we make a very small contribution and then we do what we're supposed to do. Uh, we obey Him. We abide in Him. And He gives us everlasting life as a gift. It's much more than we would ever earn. Much more than we ever deserve. But yet we get that at the end. Uh, and so um, be mindful of that, that we don't deserve this. Uh, but we do get this. This is a blessing from the Lord that He's offering to each and every one of us if we abide in Him. In closing, let's go back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, it seems to me that all three of these concepts have this idea of endurance or enduring uh, some form of hardship. Uh, you know, he starts this in verse 3. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Uh, you know, all the, the pain and uh, trials you have to endure to be a good athlete. Uh, and then the farmer, all the work and endurance that is required for them year in and year out. It says there in verse 11 of chapter 2, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so in closing, I guess I uh, hope that uh, these thoughts together, uh, you gain something from them and that they were beneficial to you uh, to think through and strive to be more of what he would have for us to be and, and draw from these ideas of being a soldier and being an uh, athlete and being uh, a farmer in agriculture, the things that we learn from <laughs> scriptures around those topics. But if there's any way that we can uh, pray with you or pray for you this morning, we'd ask you to come forward while we stand and sing.